Scottish Dramash, the Scottish NFL podcast. This is episode 195, and I'm joined this evening by an enigmatic eagle in Ian Steving, a Gallus giant in Jamie Bothwick, and a surpass saint in Paul Mitchell. Good evening, sir. How are you, first of all? I'm very well indeed. I'm just wondering there, will we get to 300 episodes before the Giants win a divisional title again? There you go. <laughs> There's a, a question for Jamie to start. Yeah, the shots are in early. This evening, we are turning our attention to the east. Last week, we looked at the north. Of course, we're moving round in a logical order. And the east comes up next. We'll be going through the two divisions. We'll be getting some thoughts, some early takes about how we see things panning out in each, uh, where we think the winners are, where we think the losers are, who's making progress, who's slipping back. I think, gentlemen, we will start off with the AFC. So, Paul, take us away with this one. Well, the AFC, I mean, I've been reading articles about this today. The, the the one theme that comes up tends to be who's going to take the bills out. And I think that's a reasonable starting point for any discussion. I think we look at it that the AFC East, that the bills do look like a dominant team. They do look potentially uh, Super Bowl bound. You're always suspicious of the Patriots. Uh the Dolphins, goodness knows. The Jets, well, their quarterback got injured in preseason. Ian, Stephen, first of all, I mean, Ian, is there a realistic threat to the Bills or can we just mark the Bills down as team most likely to win division? The Bills are always capable of building themselves. Um, they've went 20-odd years without much playoff success and when they did have playoff success, they were famous for never winning the Super Bowl. So I don't think you can count out the Bills from essentially establishing their own seasons. Um, if you look at the NFL MVP um, odds, uh, Josh Allen's actually the favourite for NFL MVP. Um, and I'm not sure, do you have to go back to OJ Simpson to actually have a, a Bills player favourite going into a season to be MVP? Because um, I don't even think at the, the the point where they had Jim Kelly and Furman Thomas, uh, they probably still had uh, Montana playing at that point or Dan Marino. So it's astonishing just to have Josh Allen viewed as potentially the most valuable player going into an NFL season. Um, and he's certainly got the the team around him. Um, they've also got the that, that kind of advantage in, in wintertime that, that Buffalo... Um, and possibly only um, Green Bay have and the, the bite and cold. So to defeat the Bills at the top of the AFC East, you have to have a team that puts forward a quarterback that has one of the seasons for the ages. And then the the, the cast of Tua and Wilson and um, Mac Jones, you can't quite see anyone coming through and having that Superb season. You look at the the bill. You look at the bills, and you think they are they are going well into double figures for victories. And you look at uh, New England and Miami, and you think are they maybe going about eight or nine win, nine wins at best? And New York, I don't even know if they're going to get the quarterback out for week one because he tripped himself up and managed to get a bone spur and uh, meniscus damage. Like he just looks like he's going to be a complete and utter uh, bomb scare in terms of injury and luck. Um, so I can't see anything other than the Bills romping the division unless they manage to trip themselves up, which would be very, very unforeseen. 
Yeah, that was bad news for women of a certain age that the Jets might not have their quarterback in place, but we shall see where that goes. In terms of, I mean, just, just stick with the Jets for a moment, Jamie. I mean, the Jets have beaten the Dolphins just once in the last 10 games. Now, bearing in mind, that's supposed to be one of the easier games in their division. It kind of tells us a lot that they just don't really seem to be able to function. But what about the Dolphins? I mean, they, they have been unbelievably poor, yet you look at their roster and you think, actually, they could do okay. Got to remember, they're the ones that they lost to Urban Meyer's team, you know, <laughs> which was almost unthinkable. Nobody else wanted to do that. You know, it was the Jags' first win in, what, 19, 20 games or something. What do you see the Dolphins bringing us? I love the, the divisional politics that come about when you get one really dominant team. And obviously, this division is, is very used to that. You almost enter a bit of an arms race. Um, and Miami are definitely best place to, to, to try and, and, and compete and obviously the trade for Tyreek Hill plays a, a huge part of that. So much of it was going to come down to, to Tua because I, I think the, the defence is is fairly reliable. It's probably got room for growth as well. But can Tua go from that sort of like steady hands? You know, he, he, he wasn't he wasn't massively a guy that, you know, you were you were waiting to, to trip up. But neither was a guy he was going to go and grab games by the throat and go and, and go and win you it from a from a losing position. So that is probably um where Miami's fate lies. Um in terms of the, the Jets, if they're they're talking about an arms race, they're really just in a race to try and beat their own crushing um irrelevance of late. Um and and they look they've have gone really boom and bust in the in the draft again with two really high value picks. And yeah, obviously, Sauce is a is a guy that most people are are back into coming and do well. Um, Johnson uh, definitely splits opinion more, and um, when you look back at, at at the last few years of the Jets picks, they have been kind of split down the middle like this, um, not having their quarterback or unlikely to have a quarterback for the start of the season. Um, he's got a lot of question marks over him this year as to whether he can he can kick on, and so you got to say that the Jets look like the irrelevance of the of the group again. The Patriots, um, I, well, the noise has died down on where, on the amount of times that they're trying to push the push the the boundaries of what's acceptable, hasn't it? They're actually just battling to get themselves looking like a. A team to be feared again, and you know they, they moved in the right direction, and they probably got more out of Mac Jones in year one than they expected. But it's hard to see them putting a dent in the bills, and I guess it's a case of well, can they progress more than Miami hoped to? See, when you look yeah. when you look at the Bills roster, sorry, the Patriots roster, there's nobody, nobody at all that 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 stands out as a, a top quality starter in the NFL. They all look like um, Bill Belichick, kind of lower roster pickups, guys that will fill in and they'll be good, but because there's so much talent around them, it, it, they won't be noticed. But with this roster, it, it doesn't look like there's anybody in that team that's got blue chip talent at all, which is incredibly rare for you to say that about the Patriots. And it's, it's maybe a question at the moment of Belichick's coaching, just holding them together. And if you had anybody else, Else that came in to coach that side, they could be looking at like a two or three win season just because of the lack of talent on that roster. 
The Belichick thing's very interesting, Cameron, because, you know, we hear that he wants to cement his legacy and win with somebody that's not Brady. <laughs> He's certainly not got that at the moment. They, they weren't particularly splashy in free agency. They weren't particularly splashy in their draft either. But you, you can't win on coaching alone. No, you can, and you do need a player. And I think it's really interesting. You know, the 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 Patriots got by on Belichick's coaching and Brady's ability to drag the overall status of a team up several notches, which he just continually did time and time again. Josh McDaniel's leaving as well is a really interesting piece there because they've lost that offensive coordinator. So Mac Jones has got to come in. And you look at the wide receiver now, they've gone and got Devontae Parker, who I think is a really good wide receiver, but there's a couple of question marks there. Obviously, he became the unpopular man in Miami. They were quite willing to let him go. Nelson Aguilar was brought in on a big old contract. Question marks about, is he even going to see the start of the season? Are the Patriots looking to get rid of him? Quite a heavy cap hit on him. Damien Harris at running back, Rondre Stevenson. As Ian said there, there's guys that are decent, but there's nobody that you're, fantasy football point of view, there's nobody on that list that you're looking at going, yeah, I'm picking, I'm taking him. I'm reaching for that. That's a guy I definitely want. You know, even at the tight end positions, fine, they went and got those two tight ends. And that feels like the one area where maybe they've got talent that they can lean back on. But there's so much change the the ghost of Brady still looms large. And I think that it's a shadow that Belichick wants to cut himself away from before he moves on. And I don't know how much longer he's got. So it will be very interesting to see what contribution they have in disrupting a division that is heavily favoured for the Buffalo Bills at the moment. Are they going to be the number two team or is it going to be Miami? I, the Jets, unlikely. Um you never know, but I think we've seen see, this story see, before, see right? Of, see outside of quarterback, Cameron. I think the Jets maybe have got the best the best roster in that division. They've got some, the, especially in terms of young talent. If you're looking at a team in the next two to four years as, as a team that's going to solidify themselves as a, a perennial playoff contender, I think the Jets have got that, that talent in place. It's just the quarterback is so questionable. It's a... <laughs> I don't want to say the term Jonah, but it looks like it looks like Wilson might already be jinxed. You, you don't want to be going into the the first week of the NFL season having to play Joe Flacco because your quarterback tripped himself up in preseason and picked up a bad knee injury. Um, and if you took somebody like Matt Jones and dropped him in on that New York Jets roster, you'd actually be looking at the Jets as thinking, well, they, they're going to compete with the Bills this year for the, the division title, in my opinion. I did wonder when Wilson got injured, if yeah, Jimmy Garoppolo's name is going to be the first name that comes up when any quarterback gets injured. But I don't know that Garoppolo offers anything greater than Joe Flacco does. A, a slightly different, and I guess Robert Sala has got the experience oh, of having... Time out. Time out. You, you go right. to the naughty chair because Gordon would... I've got to do this for Gordon McGuinness. Joe Flacco offers no more. What, what are you on? Jimmy Garoppolo's just been in a Super Bowl in the last couple <laughs> of years. You, you, off you go to the naughty step. We'll, we'll talk to I you think, again in a minute. I think you find that um, Gordon McGuinness would jump in and defend Joe Flacco and his greatness at this point. I think he'd be telling me that Garoppolo's a downgrade. Listen, um, in the interest of fairness... Garoppolo <laughs> and Flacco are two of the worst quarterbacks ever to play in a Super Bowl. 
Well, they still got there. Let's before we we leave these, let's talk about one thing that I found quite interesting. Two things happened on the first of February. Tom Brady announced that he was stepping away from football, and it turns out he may well have been going to Miami. And the reason, therefore, he didn't go to Miami was that that was the same day that Brian Flores dropped his lawsuit on the NFL for his time at Miami. And the reason I want to mention that is because I've thought. Ian, you made the point that the Jets might be ready to win in the next two to four years. Miami have been like that for the last five, six years. You think they've been about to take a leap forward. You know, they brought in a sexy coach in Brian Flores. Everybody thought he would succeed, yet they've always remained a quarterback away from doing well. I mean, if Brady had gone to the Dolphins, do we have a different conversation today? Brady goes to any team. I think you have a, a different conversation just for... The fact that he raises the game of everybody else when he plays. Um, it would be fascinating to see um, Brady and the Dolphins. Um, he would love to have receivers like Waddle um, and Tyreek Hill. Um, he might actually be able to hit them in a deep ball. I don't think Tua can do anything past about 20 yards. Um, I know we, we hate talking about fantasy football in this podcast where NFL we're not about children's games but if anybody's, Shots uh, fire. If anybody's <laughs> looking for a, a tight end then possibly Gizeki at Miami because I don't think um, I think Waddle and Hill are just going to run secondaries off and I think there's going to be a big gap over the middle for two to exploit with Gizeki love Gizeki really underrated tight end I, yeah, I think that no, I was, I was just I was just going to let you come back off the naughty step and make another ludicrous point. So on you go. <laughs> so I feel really bad there because I'm bringing the Niners back into this, but not intentionally. The thing in Miami that's going to be fascinating is Mike McDaniel. So, you know, it's a it's a very interesting transition to go from an offensive coordinator. And we touched on Josh McDaniels and we'll talk more about that when we hit the West. But Mike McDaniel obviously ran a very complex scheme that was heavily reliant on trickery and running backs. How much of that was influenced by the head coach? Uh, you know, Shanahan obviously has a particular style, but Mike McDaniel definitely came up with a lot of those intelligent plays. And that's something that San Francisco are going to miss, I think, this season. Can the Dolphins benefit? And can Tua benefit from that? Can they benefit by taking away the necessity for him to have to throw as much? Like you say, Great opportunity for those pacey wide receivers to create uh, a big space in the middle. And then you've got a plethora of running backs. You've got Chase Edmonds coming out of Arizona. You've got Mostert, who, if fit, we know is a top quality, fast-paced player. This is a fast, fast, fast Miami Dolphins team. But they're in a division where actually the defences are not honking. So they're going to have a tough old time. So really interesting to see how that transition comes through. For me, it's between the Dolphins and the Patriots to who can grab second spot unless the Jets go out and decide they're moving on from Wilson and they go get someone else. I guess to, to greater and lesser extents, you're going to see offensive transitions in Buffalo and New England as well with new OCs in there. Um, it remains to be seen who's going to call the offensive plays in New England, whether... Belichick will hold on to a certain amount of it, whether Joe Judge might or whether Patricia might. So, and then those are two guys who are hurting and, and, and looking to really prove a point, which will be interesting to see whether that's it's something that influences, I don't know, their, their ambition with the way that they, they, they play with Matt Jones. And then 
the Bills developed a really great game around Josh Allen and now with Brian Dable going down to the Giants, um, do they just try and keep exactly the same playbook or, or, or will, they, will they look to develop that as well and put a different stamp on it? So the Jets are probably the only one with a little bit of consistency. It's probably not a consistency that they want. Yeah, and it's a fair point about Bill Belichick uh, and New England. It's almost where head coaches go to get rehabilitated after they've done badly. I don't, I don't know whether Bill just likes to show off his Super Bowl rings to them or not. I don't. I don't know, but he certainly seems to be able to give Come them a second chance. See my rings. So, what will be the over under on broadcasters referring to Mike McDaniel as Yale graduate? How many times do you think we're going to get that in the opening three games? Yeah, it could become a drinking game. Knowing broadcasters as as I do. So Bills, Dolphins, Patriots and Jets. Interesting seasons ahead of all that is the AFC East. So we move now into the NFC East, of course. And we've got an eagle and we've got a giant here. And once we've heard from them, we're going to hear from someone who's been there and done it. But we'll come back to him in a minute. Gentlemen, Jamie with the Giants... Ian with the Eagles. Ian, you're sitting there in a much more confident place than you are, Jamie. I gotta be coming into this, right? No, I've fallen down that that that, that trap before. Um, <laughs> the the Eagles like to set you up with a fantastic preseason, bringing in free agency and draft, and everybody gets excited and they fall flat in their face. The Eagles only do well when nothing's expected of them. Um, I hope I'm wrong this this time around, but. Um, there's still, uh, like every single team in the NFC East, there's questions at, at quarterback that need to be answered. And it's the same with, with the Eagles. Jalen Hurts left far too many open plays um, on the on the tape when he decided to pull it down and run or he didn't look in the right place at the right time. Um, and it, last year was effectively his rookie season. He only played one or two games at the tail end of the season prior. So he had a lot to learn from. Um but it all comes down to whether uh, Nick Sirianni is going to still commit to running the ball because the, the owner of the Eagles, Jeff Lurie, is insistent that the Eagles are a 60-pass-a-game type of team. He likes the idea of sexy passing football. That, that's what he had with Andy Reid, who would drive fans mad by never running the ball. Um, and it's a battle at that point of what Sirianni was able to make succeed with uh, a top five offensive line decent running backs and a, a quarterback who is effectively an incredibly large running back at the same time. So will he still have the same remit to be able to run the ball and then scheme everything after that? That's the big kind of question, I think, for the Eagles. Do you think the run game is strong enough for them to lean on that if they need to? If Hertz isn't in his groove and he's just not finding it through the air, is the running backfield strong enough to actually lean on or is that an area of weakness for this team? No, the the running game is not a concern at all because the, the Eagles offensive line is so dominant you could um, you could probably stick me in the, the and I know that you get the kind of um, Camerons, I could throw for a yard and you could stick me in there and I would get a yard but just literally <laughs> by my size falling forwards I would, I feel that I have the advantage over linebackers in the NFL but um the, the Eagles, they, they split, split the carries out. Um, Hurts 
takes the, the you the same thing happened to the Ravens. They've got the number one rushing offense in the NFL, thinking they've got the reincarnation of um, Walter Payton is in the backfield, but it's the extra yards that the quarterback adds by either designed runs or non-designed runs, and that pushes that offense into the top one or two rushing category. So it's, it's slightly deceptive, um, but the running game will set up the majority of stuff the Eagles will try and do, uh, be it play action, be it RPOs if they have to. Um, they're going to they're gonna look, there'll be quite a lot of dual reads with Jalen Hurts targeting AJ Brown and slants because he's so tough on inside routes. Um, but the Eagles will be a play from ahead team. They're not going to be a team that can go down 14 points and then pull that back. So they need to dominate from the, the very first uh, kickoff. It'd be great if you had a quarterback like Justin Herbert who could come in and bring you back three touchdowns in the last four minutes of a game or whatever, but I don't see that happening. And out of the entire NFC East, I think the I think um, the Eagles will, would struggle if they were in that position of having to play uh, catch-up through their quarterback. Obviously, you've made a big move to go and get A.J. Brown. But we saw a sensational season from Devonta Smith last year. From you as an Eagles fan, which wide receiver do you think is going to have the greater impact on the team this year? I think you have to really factor in AJ Brown as a kind of tight end. Um, he's going to be split split close to the line of scrimmage. I think a lot of the times, more times than Smith, he's going to have a lot more um, roots over the middle of the field. Um, and he's going to be a quick outlet on run plays. So... I think Brown's going to be a completely different type of receiver from um, Devontae. So in terms of statistical numbers, probably going to find out it's going to be neither of them and it's going to be tight end ends of getting the most Dallas Goddard. Um, you can see it's good to have a position where the opposition secretary think, right, we need to take away their best player. And then they think, well, actually, they've, they've got two best players or they've got three best players. We can't do that. We're just going to have to play conventional defence and that that opens things up a bit more. So that's what the Eagles have, have done, I think. They've also traded away uh, our Sega Whiteside uh, this week, much to the delight of every single Eagles fan who celebrated. They actually got a player back in exchange which cements Howie Roseman as the best wheeler dealer general manager in the NFL. There's no questions <laughs> about that. Um, so, yeah, in terms of in terms of what receiver comes out top, tight end. <laughs> Last one then before we move on. Uh, how easy is it going to be to cheer for James Bradbury this season? Don't think it matters if he puts on he puts on the colours of your team. Then you it's only Antonio Brown that nobody would cheer for. <laughs> Surely, um, and and and, now, and and this week Frank Gore, yeah. So yeah. as long as they, as long as they haven't done anything criminally reprehensible, then we'll cheer them on. Saying that, we did have Mike Vick and we cheered him on as well. So <laughs> yes, as as, as, Al, as uh, Al Davis said, just win, baby. Yeah, yeah. Morals and sports questionable. Uh, Jamie, we'll take it onto the Giants. How easy is it going to be to boo James Bradbury this season? <laughs> it's easy to boo anyone in that uniform. <laughs> Bradbury was a victim of circumstance, you know. Like we 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 didn't want rid of him, but we had to get rid of him. And you know, as 
tends to happen in these situations. Divisional rivals are always very, very aware of, of who they've come up against. And it, you know, it's more than likely we've lost good guys to to, to Washington and and uh, and to Philadelphia in the past. So um it is what it is. You'll get a good a good booing and then we all move on. It won't be it won't be the same level of booing you're going to get for um Carson Venso coming back to the link. I mean, that's that's um, kind of you've got to flex that out to like Sunday night's late game just to watch him getting booed. That's <laughs> that's entertainment. That's going to be that, that should be pay per view after midnight stuff. That that, that <laughs> is going to be absolutely brutal. I, I mean, think the link will be on their feet applauding them by the end. It'll be women that'll be it'll be women that'll be chucking cups of urine at them, not the men. <laughs> uh, so we'll touch on the Giants and then Paul, I'm gonna I'm gonna give you the, the delight of talking about the Cowboys and the Commanders. But Jamie, this is a big year for the Giants. This is another new head coach. Uh we've 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 been through a few of these recently. This is Daniel Jones's final year asterisk. Uh this is Saquon Barkley's final year asterisk. This is when Kenny Galladay's got to finally step up and show that he was worth the money he got asterisk. What what is the biggest factor that the 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 Giants need to fix on all of those fronts? Uh, and do you think that they can actually do it? it? It's a big year for the Giants. It's always a big year for the Giants. It's um, an absolutely gigantic year for Daniel Jones. Um, so. Barkley and Golladay. I mean, Golladay has been so dreadful um, last season and into preseason um, this year that uh, perhaps it's just counting down to when it's um, financially viable to cut him. Uh, that that is already kind of what the the, um, the the feeling is. It's like it it's got to be a year of tempered expectations for the organisation in general because um, while they Look on paper to have had a good draft and um, helped out the O line in particular. There's still no depth on the O line, so the starters are fine. But as soon as anything goes down, it's looking really dodgy again. Um, there's no depth and very little talent uh, in uh, defensive backs. I mean, I think the star of preseason so far has been Darnay Holmes, who's a sort of undersized nickel corner, um, and that sets alarm bells ringing in itself because the guys. Never going to be a, a starter on the outside, and he's uh, too small to play at safety. Um, Thibodeau coming in um, is going to be a, a, a huge uh, one to watch because he's obviously he's come in and he's got the kind of the swagger to play in New York, um, and a lot of big things are going to be expected of him very quickly. With Saquon, I, I think he's going to get good run blocking for once, um, and. It's just got to be all about whether he can take the, the elements of explosiveness that look to be starting to re-emerge. And see, just when he plays those first couple of games, he's got to really finish runs to prove that he's not concerned about his body anymore because he looks like he's been playing scared. I think he is... If he's got the confidence in his body, I think he should have confidence in a fully fit O-line that they're going to create space for him. And really, actually, you could be the spark if, if they're going to do anything. And frankly, honestly, like, I, I don't know what even constitutes a good season for the Giants right now. It, you know, anything hovering either side of the 500 mark, I think, is probably going to be the sort of progress that they're looking for in year one under Dable. And then they can go back, they can consolidate, and they can start to fill more of the gaps that they have. 
Um, I think it's going to be Barkley that, that, that sparks it because I think it's going to be him that brings the energy onto the sidelines. I think it's going to be him that may allow defences to kind of rock back and maybe overcommit to him and allow Daniel Jones to throw and to have time to throw and to create the conditions in which he could actually start to find his receivers. But all of this is still a great big question mark. It's, it's probably the least confident I've been going into a season in terms of results, but it's the most confident I've been in terms of them finally sorting things out um, in the front office and you know off the field because there's been some absolutely terrible appointments um, and it feels like Tish and Mara have finally actually opened their eyes, realised that they're not playing football in the 80s anymore. Um, and moved on to a guy in Joe Shane who does actually understand modern football um, and does actually have a plan. I think that's probably the one thing to, 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 to cling on to. <laughs> that he might actually have a plan that isn't just, you. Yeah, we're going to be tough and we're going to uh, sign guys who are going to you know, play you know, what's tough the, football. What's the, what's the feed, feedback been in Thibodeau so far, Jamie? Uh, it's been that he's he's he has been looking really good in one on ones, um, and that he has settled in. That he, he seems to have been making an effort in the locker room, which is which has been appreciated. Maybe not um, coming in and you know trying to be the number one, the alpha guy there yet. But I mean, I don't doubt that stuff like that will come. But I think probably helps that for everyone that they're coming into an environment which which has got a clean start with, with Dable and all his staff, Wink Martindale obviously coming in and um, the way that he plays defence um, is going to be something that's really going to work for the pass rushers, for bringing the guys in, the, you know, bringing the cornerbacks in and rushing as well, which is going to give some interesting things for Thibodeau to do. It looks like he's got his head down and, and, and studied. He's not made any waves um, around the place so far. But there's still, you know, I, I guess it's a sort of quiet optimism that, that he'll translate that when, you know, when things start for real. The other big uh, draft was obviously getting Evan Neal. I think, you know, going back to the draft, the Giants, it couldn't have worked out better for them, right? They didn't anticipate those two pieces were going to land. Both of them did. Hallelujah. We fixed lines on both sides. Which one of the two do you think is going to have a bigger impact? And which one of the two do you think is going to be on the field for more time this season? I mean, both of these guys were projected number one picks at one point along the way, weren't they? And, and you know, they both they both had this kind of fall. But the um, Jacksonville Jaguars were picking first. So, I mean, it was just, <laughs> that was always going to be a shambles. It was always going to be a shambles. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, Neil had a slow start to, to Pre-season, he got um, beaten badly and it was stuff that was filmed in one-on-one drills before they got fully padded up and stuff like that. And he looked like he was really struggling to adjust to the pace. You know, just that that extra physicality that, that, that comes in, in pro football. But um, he also looks an absolute natural in, in the run game and he's finishing his blocks and he's being angry and aggressive and all the things that you really want to see early on from a guy who's who's been picked that high to play that position. I think year one is going to, there's going to be a lot of adjustment for him. I don't think he's he's going to be a standout from the word go, you know, in the way that Andrew Thomas was and a lot of people kind of thought that he, he was going to be a bit of a bust, but he really kicked on um, in year two. 
Um, so yeah, no, I think I think Thibodeau is going to is going to be a bigger influence um, all round. I think he's going to be. Um, I, th- I think he's going to make an impact with a, on an organisational level without making one maybe league wide um, and really give himself a, a, a base to to grow from. I think he's going to be um, a guy who, I mean, because he has so much latent talent, but also because he's going into a defence that doesn't have a huge amount of talent, I think he is going to embrace the fact that he is one of the, the guys that everyone's looking to early on. And I, I do think that, you know, he, he's got all the tools to go and make an impact. He'll have tricky games. There's going to be guys who will suss him quickly. But I think he is a guy who's got so much in his locker, he's going to be able to go adjust, come back, be better. Do you think this, the timing of the new head coach and the fact that, you know, this is starting to feel a little bit like a rebuild again, does that fall out of favour then for Daniel Jones? Do you think that he's the biggest piece that's going to fall the quickest? Uh, and with Tyrod Taylor now as the backup quarterback, that's a better option than Mike Glennon, right? Do you think that Daniel Jones, if he has a wobbly season, sees the end of the year? Or do you think that they move on and they go, right, Tyrod, let's see if you can get us. Let's imagine that, you know, you're sitting about 500, 12 games into the season, but Dan, you know, Jones has been on a losing streak of four and it's been mainly down to him. Do you move on to Tyrod Taylor and say, right, let's get to the postseason because that's more important? Listen, it's a really, really simple question for Jamie to answer. Is your head coach in love with his quarterback? No, I think start of the season, the balance is about 60-40 against Daniel Jones returning the season after the one about, about to start. I think he comes from a point where um, he's, they've not taken his fifth-year option and therefore the expectation is that he leaves at the end of this year unless he can completely win them over. Um, Tyrod is the best backup that they've brought in for a very long time. I, 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 honestly, I, be, I mean, was thinking when I saw him throw a bit in the preseason game um, in New England, I can't think of a time when they've actually brought in a, a stronger backup and he's a guy that obviously Dable knows from the Bills uh, as well, but I'm not sure there's a circumstance where they bring in Taylor because he isn't the future either. He's a guy who's who's there just in case Daniel Jones, well, his body's given up on him um, fairly regularly in his career already. Um, I think he's a guy who, if either his body or his confidence completely collapses, then they know they've got someone that they can bring in and at least hold up the rest of what is. A rebuilding. Well, here's here's the other here's the other question, Jamie. You've maybe got about three or four guys coming out of college next season that are really really good. Are the Giants capable of losing badly enough to get a shot at one of those four guys? Because teams are trading up. There's there's teams with multiple first round picks next year. So finishing in the top top ten worst record won't do it. You might need to be uh, it might need to be one to five. You need to be picking to get a, a quarterback next season. Can you do it? Can you fluff enough games? I think they have it in them to lose that many games. But it's all... <laughs> Irrespective, just without the incentive of the quarterback. <laughs> I, gen- I, I genuinely do, because they're actually being upfront about the fact that this is year one of a rebuild, rather than, like, you know, it, you go back to the Gettleman and stuff, and they were pretending that they weren't in constant rebuild mode, and that was, like, half of the problem. Now, 
they they are absolutely upfront about the fact that they, they've, they've they've had a good start, but genuinely do not expect anything from this team this year. Um, it's it's on the players to prove that wrong. It's on Daniel Jones in particular, um, and it, it, you know if if he is the guy, then if he he will have won them enough games that that that's not um, that's not a factor that they're going to need to to you know be in contention for one of the of the guys coming out of college. You know my problem with with James coming out with saying we're in rebuild mode is you're still paying full price for the tickets. You know. It, well, I, I, I'm very uncomfortable about it. It's one thing the fans knowing it. It's another thing, you know, for when, when a front office comes out and says it. And I think it's very, very difficult when you're addressing that. I think we know it's a rebuild, but I, it's certainly not a word I would be using. I think it sets the wrong tone um, around does it. Keep, does it keep the fans off your back, though, when it first starts to wobble? Does setting that expectation mean that the fans are going to sit there grumpy, but perhaps silently? Because in their head they can go, I'm pissed off, but I know this is a rebuild, so I'm looking for positives. Whereas if you're going and going for the postseason and you're stinking the place up, you're getting booed right away. How many times have you logged onto Twitter in week two after your team's <laughs> lost the game and the fans are immediately shouting, blow it all up, build it again after week two? They don't care. Fans are Fans are morons. Don't listen to <laughs> general managers. Do what you've got to do. To answer your to answer your question, Cameron, yeah, charge me sixty percent of the cost for the season ticket, and I'll cut you a break. Or give me a if free not, medium Pepsi. That'll do yeah, it. No, well, I mean <laughs> that, that was just genius. Oh, medium Pepsi is a low blow. <laughs> you know, I mean that that probably makes up for it. I mean, depends where you get your free medium Pepsi. If you if you get in Disney World, it's probably worth about ten grand. To be fair. Um, What you've got to to remember, though, Paul, is the the coaches or the the front office might talk about a rebuild, but the players don't. Because if you're a a fifth-round draft pick or an undrafted free agent and you're getting paid 250 grand a year and you don't know who your team's going to be next year and then you end up having one of those out-of-the-world seasons because the the guy ahead of you in a depth chart gets injured week one and you end up getting a 1,000 yards or whatever, that's you suddenly... 40, 50 times your um, salary and you've set your family up for life. So the players, unless you get some, unless you, you take off your shirt and walk around New York Jets Stadium shirtless, like a, a certain <laughs> idiot last During season. the third quarter. <laughs> yeah, but all the other players, they, there's no there's no such thing as a rebuild with them. They're, they're banging their opponent's head as hard as they possibly can in the hope that it's going to get them more money or get them more of a career. Um, so it doesn't resonate with them. So when you turn up to watch a game, the players are giving it 100%. It's so maybe just the every time your team scores a, a touchdown and gets further away from that first-round draft pick, your general manager is silently cursing under his breath. Why can't you just lose? I built you to lose! <laughs> Speaking of being built to lose, Paul, let's move on to the Washington Commanders because they've got a new identity off the field and, to my eye, still absolutely no identity on it because I do not know what they're doing at the moment. Carson Wentz is back in the division. Um, There's some talent there. There's absolutely no getting away from that. But, like, Uh, yeah. Cameron, once again, I'm sorry, you're wrong. I mean, okay. I mean, and you're you're obviously wrong because I I checked this out on the internet and it's a wonderful thing that I found called "Why Your Team Sucks 2022: 
the Washington Commanders. And I'll tell you, they are so prepared to win, they have reworded their fight song and they've got that out there so everybody can sing along. And even the first line of it doesn't scan. Hail to the Commanders. It doesn't scan whatsoever. So so let me just indulge you. Hail to the commanders. Hail victory. Leaders on a mission. Fight for old DC. Well, that's fine, but it doesn't actually scan at the start. And they've actually published this. You know, can you imagine the fans are just going to take to that and sing it? Let me see what else was going wrong. I mean, the stadium collapsed. Tunnel collapsed last season when an opposing quarterback was trying to go up there. Their head coach in the... Is it the... Offensive coordinator, defensive coordinator are obviously very different on the political spectrum and have had their issues as well. My favourite quote I is Car- yeah. My favourite <laughs> quote is that they they have managed to go and get the outlet mall Brett Favre, which I thought was a lovely description <laughs> of Carson Wentz and one really I wish I'd thought of. So I'm not going to take it. I mean, remember his shovel pass interception and things like that. I I just don't know. What on earth? They've got the rebrand wrong. I think they've got the coaching staff wrong. The, their social media is wrong. They had the chance to, you know, redefine the uniforms. They've got that wrong. I just think there's just so much wrong in that organization. They're not even in the same state. They're struggling to get back. They've been fighting with, you know, the Washington, D.C. people for about 15, 20 years to try and get back. They should never have moved out in the first place. Well, Paul, I know I know exactly where all, when all this happened. Do you want me to pinpoint the exact date? It was May 1999, and that was when Daniel Snyder bought the Washington <laughs> Commanders. <laughs> that that it's not the coaching, it's not the players, it's uh, all the stuff you're listed. That is Daniel Snyder. He is the sole reason why the whatever they're called are so have been so repugnant for the last. Let's do the maths. I didn't mind. Thirty-five years. Thirty-five years. Twenty-five years. Sorry, Jamie. I, I said, I said, I'm like, you know, you look and you try and do a bit of research on maybe the, you know, the teams that you don't follow so closely. I had to remind myself what the Washington team were called before I came on this. <laughs> yes, it's not a catchy name, um, it, and they're not. It's not. Them. It's not. Well, with the other thing now, you, you talk about the players, Cameron, and 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 it's again the social media aspect of this. The, the Washington Commanders actually tweeted that Jonathan Allen had been selected as player number 88 in the NFL top 100. Now, there's 30 teams, you know. So, you know, it's not that great if your best guy's coming in at 88. I just think they make misstep after misstep. Um, and it's a shame because in, in the in the good old days, the Redskins were always a popular team to view. You know, that division, they always gave as good as they got. And I don't know, at the moment, I just think when I see any game that's listed with Washington, it's like, yeah, who cares? Kind of move on. Now, can they, can they be different this year? I think the draft was okay without being stunning. They start at home to Jacksonville, they go to Detroit, and then they've got the Eagles at home. Now, if they could go 2-0 and and then have a statement win against the divisional rival, who knows? But equally, they could be 0-3 and en route to, you know, another another chance to waste a draft pick. I'm not holding out much hope, as you can tell. Yes. And the thing is, like, is they're not completely bereft of talent. They're not, because Terry McLaurin is a great wide receiver. We're talking about fantasy football. He's a guy that 
he's going to get targeted so often he's worth having because the law of averages say he's going to get you a certain amount of points, especially if you play PPR in the children's game, as it's now going to be known. <laughs> Seriously, people go and do something else with your lives, like connect with your family, <laughs> anything. Drink a fine wine like Jamie's doing. That's a better way to spend your evening. Right, they're on the waiver wire. Um, you know, obviously we've got Chase Young, question marks about whether he can stay fit or not. Carson Wentz, fine, didn't work out for him. Antonio Gibson is a good... Wait, um, wait, 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 wait. How can you say Chase Young questions whether he'll stay fit and you say Carson Wentz, fine? But no, Carson, <laughs> Wentz, Carson Wentz is more fragile than... It's true, it's true. An analogy which indicates fragileness. He's <laughs> he's brittle. Um, it's going to be week six before you've got um, Sam Howell taking over as a new starter for the Washington Commanders. Um, and he, there's just no way he's going to stay. He's ever he's ever going to get injured, or he's going to flounce off in a major drop about something. One of the two. <laughs> so we took to social media tonight and we asked people for their East Division hot takes. And we got a lot of takes, and I would say that a lot of them were not hot. You know, obviously tipping the Eagles to win for me. Uh, Tony from Loch Lomond tweeted us that one. Uh, a, and I pointed... A, Tony's a nice guy. I like the way he thinks. Yeah, uh, He's slightly biased, but I, I pointed out to Tony that that is not a hot take to say that the Eagles are going to win. That's a fairly cold take. Uh, if, if a hot take is a burger, then his take is coleslaw. It's there, but nobody really wants it. Um, there's lots of this chat. There's a few, the Cowboys might sneak it, yada, yada, yada. I'm going to give credit to Scott Kirkwood because he's actually got a hot take. And his hot take is that the Commanders will win the NFC division if they can get Wentz playing well and with their D-line now healthy, I think they've got a good chance, says Scott. Uh, Lauren Callahan replies to say, that's a bloody big if. And indeed it is. But even then, even with that if, I'm not convinced they could win this division. I think I've, that they oh need... So much to go in the other direction. Yeah, a, poor, a poor, poor Washington fan trying to inject some hope into his life, and you've got a man named after a sausage just immediately, <laughs> immediately cutting him down. That's just what Cowboys fans are like. They're just bitter. Let Washington have that little gleam of hope before week one kicks off. This is a even Jags fans are sitting there thinking this could be our year. We've not played a. a no, 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 they're not. Even, even Saints fans are sitting here thinking, this could be our year with Winston quarterback. <laughs> no, no, we're not. If we are going to talk Cowboys, I mean, a couple of things. I thought they hit their draft last year very well. If you look at their top five players, they all had a lot of starts in there. But of course, Mika Parsons, the headline, I mean, he was as good as advertised there. However, I mean, they did lose to a poor San Francisco team in the playoffs. And therein lies the problem for Mike McCarthy. To me, it's championship game or bust. And Sean Payton is, is basically standing over that franchise at the moment and standing over Mike McCarthy. And I think that's an uncomfortable position that he's going to be in this year. I think they'll win, but I don't think that will count for much unless they get, get through to at least the championship game. And I think McCarthy's out and Payton's in. Listen, Dallas have got a quarterback that can throw for 4,000 yards. They've got one of the top offensive lines in the league. Um, they've got an incredibly talented wide receiver on C.D. Lamb. And they've got fairly good front seven on defence. They're going to be, um, if not co-favourites with the Eagles for the division, they're, they're shading the Eagles just simply because 
of uh, Prescott's resume in the the passing game. Um, Agree. Uh, the, the the kind of the only thing that was probably going against them was just. Um, Ezekiel Elliott just uh, wearing down compared to against the salary that he's on. But apart from that, um, they're a very, very good team and I don't think they can be discounted at all. The, the, the point of the Eagles and the Cowboys are maybe so good, they're going to end up knocking each... I was going to say knocking each other up, but that would be... Um, <laughs> no, we, we, don't, we don't want that. That would be, be a difficult paternity suit to mitigate. They'll be kind of perhaps knocking each other out in the fight and another team progresses and nuts through and takes one of the better seedings when it comes to the, the playoffs. You could probably even, the way it always works out in the NFL, you're probably going to end up seeing Dallas and Philadelphia playing each other on the, the wild card round because you always get those uh, division rivalries thrown up in the wild card round for um, serendipity's sake. But I wouldn't, I definitely wouldn't uh, discount Dallas in any way at all. They're a very, That's very it. good team. I think they'll win the division. I have to Did, say, I think they will win the division. But the problem is the playoffs. And if you remember the cluster they had at the end of that game, you know, the getting downfield and not spiking the ball and everything like that, a lot of that is still on McCarthy. I think there's a lot of carryover. And it's almost one of these things, it doesn't matter what he does as long as he doesn't blow it in the, in the you, you know, in the normal season. To me, Dallas, it's simply about the playoffs this year. They'll get there. I'm convinced of that. But if they fail again, McCarthy's gone. It's always just a countdown on this pod till Ian makes a sort of strange sexual analogy. So I'm glad it was an inadvertent <laughs> one this time. <laughs> and it put a smile on my face because I'm pretty stony-faced thinking about how good Dallas's roster is just now. It's, it's. I've been trying to deny it for long enough, but um, they really were just Dax fitness away from being even better last year. Uh, and yes, it, it, it concerns me that they can keep him upright, keep him fit and go even, yeah, go even better next year because all round they've, they've got everything. They've drafted well. They drafted guys who were just the absolute obvious picks for the last two years. And they've, they've done really, really well. Every single one of them has paid off. And when you hit a, a, a rich seam of trip picks like that, you should have a team that starts to challenge. And this year, I think Dallas are going to be a team that are seriously in the in the conversation with that championship game. Obviously, Amari Cooper's moved on. The question for me with Dallas is that wide receiver core, because obviously Jalen Tolbert, we'll see what he is. CeeDee Lamb had an amazing year last year, but he was able to do that as the number two receiver, where Amari Cooper is naturally drawing coverage, double coverage, gets the attention from the opposition. Can C.D. Lamb still have that same level of productivity when he's the number one guy that's getting the double coverage? He's up against the top cornerback because I'm not sure that Michael Gallup, who's still injured as far as I can tell, um, is that player that C.D. Lamb is in that second position. Um, Dalton Schultz had moments. Um, Obviously, they've they've got Jake Ferguson as tight end they brought in he could be great who knows but for me that's the question mark this year I think it opens I up think... Schultz I think I think Schultz benefits the most from this I think he's a really good receiving tight end uh, Gallup's fine um, he won't occupy obviously um, DBs in the same way but um, yeah I think the one that takes the big step forward is Dalton Schultz Ian if you put Dak Prescott into the Eagles team and you put Jalen Hurts into the Cowboys team do the Eagles win it at ease? 
Um, no, because I think the Eagles would try and go back to a passing game purely with Prescott. Um, and I don't know if it would suit the way the offense is set up now. Um, so it's an interesting question, interesting question to ask. Hurts maybe just shades it because he doesn't have that major injury um, behind him that um, Prescott Scott he's he's always going to have that moniker attached to him now. I'm surprised how well he actually played last season, con- considering how bad the injury was. Um, but I, I, even the concept of having Dak Prescott and Eagles Green oh makes me feel. Ooh. <laughs> It makes me feel, feel as tingly as I was that time I saw Jamie naked on the beach. Now, you just said that you will accept anybody who's in the, the colours, uh, Philadelphia. You'll take James Bradbury from the Giants, so surely you'll take Dak Prescott from the Eagles. That's it's, it's, it's a bit difficult, a bit different when it's the, the quarterback. Cause, um, if, if, <laughs> if we're actually saying, if we actually have the trade right now, you're trading Prescott for Hurts, I think Eagles fans would be just like, what? Um, <laughs> no. <laughs> See, I, I can't imagine what it must be like to get a quarterback from your most hated rivals coming to play for you and expected to get on and cheer for them. That would just be terrible. I, would, I wouldn't like that. Um, the one thing I'm going to add before we cut away here briefly is, um, Lorne, I've not forgotten Ian's jibe there. You are sitting front and centre at the live event. You can take it up with him when you see each other uh, for the week one live event, which, by the way, we are at this very moment on the cusp of selling out. Uh, Tickets only went on sale on Sunday. We're recording this on Tuesday. It's been 40 hours. And as we record this, there are four tickets left. Watch this egg on my face. The next time we record, there'll still be four tickets left. But no, I think we're we're heading for a sellout. And it's brilliant. Very excited to be doing that. But anyway, we're talking about the NFC East. And we've given our input. But, you know, it's only right that we get someone who's actually been there and done it. So we went and got a two-time Super Bowl champion, a Scotsman, no less, as we caught up with the great Lawrence Tynes. So we're going to turn now and speak to someone involved with the New York Giants that's probably more informed than our Scottish slant on things, but it's still a Scottish slant nonetheless because I'm delighted to be joined by two-time Super Bowl winner, Lawrence Tynes. Good evening, LT. How are you? I'm doing great. How you been? Thanks for having me. Yeah, good. Thanks for coming back on. And you obviously, we got to talk Giants. So it's been a long summer. Let's take us back a little bit. Let's go back to the draft. How did you feel the Giants did in the draft? Are you happy with the pieces? Do you think they addressed the right, most important areas, first and foremost? The Giants had about as good a draft as I think anyone could have expected. I think those were their, you know, they had picks, two picks in the top 10, and they got Kayvon Thibodeau and Evan Neal. I mean, they addressed two massive needs, right tackle and defensive end. They need to get more pressure on the quarterback this year. Aziz Ojolari was a good player, nice player last year, broke the rookie record, Giants rookie record for sacks. Um, I really like this Wandell Robinson kid they picked up in the third round. And then the tight end, whose name is evading me right now, because as we talked about before the show, uh, I'm diving in, I'm getting all up to speed on everything as the season approaches. But overall, they have to be happy. Uh, Just reading, hearing from Joe Shane and Brian Dable, those were two very, very highly rated players that they were able to secure and in, in draft and bring to New York. Uh, two players as well that perhaps many thought might not be on the board at the point that they were at, yeah. especially Evan Neal at number seven. I know. You know, people thought he might have been going 
top three overall. So, like you say, an important an important piece because under Brian Dable, of course, coming in for his first season, new coach with a big question mark over the quarterback still, that offensive mm-hmm. line is going to be vital to any success that Daniel Jones is going to have. Yeah, the offensive line is, again, a huge piece of what this organization has struggled with for the last decade, to be honest. Um, getting Evan Neal and pairing him with Andrew Thomas and, and some new interior guys um, is going to be – this is a massive season for for obviously Daniel Jones. I mean, there's no more excuses anymore, you know, with the – the quality of players in front of him, the quality of players that he has at his disposal at the skill positions. And then it's a huge year for Saquon Barkley too. Um, He quite frankly, I know he's been injured and beat up, but ever since year one, we haven't seen the same player. Um, So Daniel Jones and, and Saquon Barkley on the offensive side, it's a massive year, huge challenge for them. And there's a lot of pressure on both those players. And already, you know, preseason, we've had one game out of the way. You managed to beat the Patriots, which, of course, you did yourself repeatedly. So that's nothing big to shout about. No big deal. um, Obviously, a winning start in preseason is great to have nonetheless. We've seen two bits of real hype. One positive, one maybe a bit more negative. Um, So Con Barkley, people talking about that he looks fit. He looks up for it. He looks to be back to the player. The flip to that, there's been a bit of over analysis, perhaps on some of the throws that Daniel Jones has made in some of the training sessions. Having gone through preseason yourself multiple times, how important is it to focus in on these things? And how much do you just ignore all that noise and just like bring on the season? it, it, It doesn't mean anything. I don't care how good Saquon Barkley looks in practice, and I don't care how bad Daniel Jones looks in practice. I just don't care. Um, Guys have good days, bad days. They can nitpick any throw he made on fan night, right? There was 30,000 people there, so there was a lot of plays there that, you know, they're still working on stuff. They're still getting timing down. Um, And the play I know you're talking about, that was a horrible route by the receiver, first of all. And then Daniel Jones was just throwing it away. He he wasn't really trying to complete the pass because it would have been picked off because the route was so bad. And I believe it was maybe Galladay running that route. He's another big, big question mark that the Giants spent a lot of money on, who, quite frankly, has not looked real good. Uh, if, If he fails this season, obviously with Dable, he'll be gone. But the cap hits too much to get rid of him right now, so you have to play him. Uh, you know, and and they've got some skill players. Uh, but again, I don't look too much into any of the preseason hype or, you know, that, you know, when they start talking bad about players, it doesn't matter. You've touched on it there already with Barkley, with Golladay, Daniel Jones, find question marks with some of the players on the other side, some of the new rookies coming in. There's a lot of talent to be excited about in New York. Um, and the Giants, have to come in with an element of confidence this season. What does success look like in your mind for the Giants in this season coming up? You know, I mean, I, they won four games last year, right? So, um, uh, you know, eight or nine wins. If they can be eight and nine, nine and eight, I mean, that would be a huge improvement for them. Uh, defensively, you know, we didn't touch much on that side of the football because it was pretty decent. But, you know, they have a big question mark at at QB2 or CB2, their corner. The second corner, Aaron Robinson did not have a great, you know, first preseason game. So uh, and I still think he's a good player. I'm not, you know, to what we just talked about earlier. I'm not going to bury him after a couple of bad plays in the preseason. But um, if they can get that spot figured out, they've got, you know, some Darnay Holmes in the slot. They've got great safeties. They've got good, you know, Blake Martinez returns. 
Um, the D line should be, you know, with Aziz and Williams and Dexter and, and Kayvon. I mean, that's, that's a pretty good unit. So um, eight or nine wins. I think giants nation, New York has to be thrilled with that. Uh, but again, this team was pretty bad last year. So it's uh, they've been bad for a long time. Um, eight or nine wins will feel like the Super Bowl to to New York fans because it's been that bad. <laughs> how how okay? Let's look on the flip side. How bad could it be this year? Do you mm. do you think that with the Commanders in the division that there's a good situation where you can't be the worst team because it feels like they've got a lot of growing to do themselves? Or are you genuinely thinking with a new? head coach who's not been in this position before that there is the risk that the Giants take a further step back before they eventually step forward again. I don't think they'll take a step back. I I think there's just too much talent on the team. And then, you know, listen, if Daniel Jones struggles, Tyrod Taylor is a very capable backup quarterback. There's some people said he looked better than Daniel Jones the other night. And I don't completely disagree with that either. Um, Tyrod Taylor's played a lot of good football. Um, he's taken a team to the playoffs when he was a starter in Buffalo. So that's why he's there. I mean, Daniel Jones, if he struggles at all, um, you've got Tyrod Taylor to kind of fill in the gap. Now, Tyrod Taylor is not your long-term franchise quarterback, but he can win you some football games. And so if this is going to be up to Daniel Jones. I mean, as he goes, this team will go. And, uh, you know, you, you have to have a lot of confidence about Brian Dable's scheme and Mike Kafka, the offensive coordinator, these who came over from the chiefs, I mean, they're going to have scheme and it's a matter of staying healthy. You know, I, I, I worry, I worry about um, Kadarius Tony a lot because he, you know, he missed again from a hamstring. Uh, he was hurt a lot last year. He is smaller guy. Um, you just worry about that guy. He's such an explosive player, but he's been hurt so much. So, um, you know, they have a lot of questions that to answer here this season, but Daniel Jones, obviously, and Saquon are, you know, question one and question one A for this <laughs> franchise. They really are. Yeah. I mean, these two guys, um, high, high draft picks that just quite frankly haven't played well. Yes, indeed. Um, we can't continue talking about the depth of the team without touching on the all Scottish kicking room, of course. Unbelievable. It's unbelievable. Um, Graham Gano continues to deliver, and you could see even in preseason, right? The, the, I think that the one area you can look at a player, even in the preseason, and absolutely judge what they're looking like is the kicking department, right? Because oh, yeah. that is the same, irregardless. Yeah. It doesn't matter who you're up against, as long as you've got the time and as long as you're kicking the ball, right? That's what yes. that's what matters. Therefore, coming into this, Graham Gano looks like he's in his usual form already. Yeah, with a new holder, you know, Jamie, <laughs> Jamie Gillian, the Scotsman. It's it's a pretty cool story, and I'm glad they're playing in London because I think that's going to be pretty cool for both those guys. I obviously played in the first London game back in 07 when we played the Dolphins, and you would have thought I was Eli Manning that week because all the media wanted to talk to me. And uh, But having Graham and, and Jamie – on the same team, both Scotsmen. I mean, that's it's pretty cool. Uh, so I can't wait to watch them play this year. Um, there's a heritage there, of course, obviously being so successful yourself with the Scottish lineage and what have you. Uh, do you think that the New York fans, the Giant fans, have actually embraced this as well? Is this is this something that they're switched on to, or are we over pushing this on this side of the pond? No, they need to. The, you know, the, the Giants somehow need to have – 
some kind of a cool marketing campaign for these two guys. Maybe they have a photo shoot of these two guys in kilts and uh, kicking footballs and just have fun with it because it is rare, you know, to have two Scottish guys playing after a Scottish guy played there for many years with myself. It's it's pretty neat. And, And I know it wasn't obviously done on purpose, but I, like I said, once you go Scottish, you never go back. Sorry. So it's like, <laughs> I mean, who's the next Scottish specialist in line after these guys? So um, we got to find them. Well, this is it. And, and we've got a unique situation as well. And I, I must look into this because I don't know if it's ever happened before. But of course, the Giants play the Ravens this year. The Ravens who picked up David Ojabo, who from Nigeria, but grew yes. up in Scotland. So there's yes. a Scottish connection there. So, you know, we've got a, an edge rusher um, linebacker on one side. Hopefully he's back fit and playing, but we could have three Scottish yeah, I don't players. think he'll play. No way. I don't think he'll play this year. Do you not think so at all? No, the Achilles is about a year. Yeah. It's at least um, a year. Um, yeah, for sure. He won't play this year. We got to remain up to that Scottish metal though. You just never, you never know. But um, it would be amazing nonetheless to have three Scotsmen. And certainly they got to get the three of them together, like you say, for oh, a photo I, shoot on that day. Yeah, it's, um, and to your point, you know, obviously you guys are spreading the word about the game over there. So I think it helps having guys like that. I know they're specialists, but um, Ajabu is an unbelievable player that was highly thought of before the draft and they had an unfortunate injury. But um, yeah, it's exciting. I, I'm just Looking forward to kind of the London game and, uh, you know, Packers, two Scotsmen going. I'm going to be there. So um, I'm really looking forward to coming back to the UK. We'll need to try and grab you for a beer then while you're in the UK, for sure. That would be great yes, to do between, that. Between uh, that and all my wife's plans, good luck. I will try and, uh, I will try and It's be fine. There. You can bring her as well. You can bring her. That's okay. We're bringing the boys too. So, um It'll be a fun week. You know, we've got some cool stuff planned while we're over there, but um, to watch the Giants play the Packers, right? There's a lot of synergies there for me and just, um, yeah, it'll be fun. So I'll get to connect with Osi um, and see him. And man, the tickets, I need tickets. I don't have tickets yet. Somebody help me with tickets. <laughs> let me I'll tell you, the, these are the hottest tickets, I think, of all the games that have been played in London so uh, far. I've seen them. They're expensive. I And I've had more people get in touch I'd ask if we know anyone with tickets than any other game that we, that's been played yeah, here. Well, so StubHub has them and they're about 500 pounds each. Yeah. You got to get onto the giant. Surely they can sort you out with a couple. Yeah, surely. Can. I just hate calling in favors, <laughs> but no, I will. I, I'm going to call John Mara and ask if I can sit in the box with him over there. Quite right. Quite right. Quite right. It's a be beautiful fun. stadium. Beautiful yeah, stadium. I haven't been, love so it. I'm looking forward to it. Um, Moving on to the head coach, Brian Dable, obviously coming in. Are you confident that he's the right guy that the Giants have gone out? Are you excited about what he might bring to the, the Giants team this year? You know, I, all this forecast stuff, you know, I thought I thought Joe Judge was the right guy. I thought Pat Shermer was the right guy. I never believed in McAdoo. Um, you know, I don't know. It, 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 these, these coaches are married to these quarterbacks, right? If you have a quarterback, you, you probably coach a long time. You know, so um, if you think of Tom Coughlin, he had Eli Manning all those years. That really covers up a lot of warts. I don't care how bad you are on other sides of the ball, but if you have a quarterback, you can coach a long time. And I think Brian Dable is a very uh, talented coach. He's a talented offensive play caller. It's just going to be up to Daniel Jones. I mean, that's why franchise quarterbacks get paid $40, 50000000 million now is because they carry the entire franchise. They, 
they keep coaches employed. I mean, that's why there's so much weight and pressure on these quarterbacks in the NFL and why they get paid like they do when they're good, because they're obviously very hard to find. I still believe in Daniel Jones, um, but I just don't know if he's damaged goods. I think he's been beat up so much over these first four seasons that, uh, you know, it, it may be hard to come out of that, but I would love to see him do it. Two last questions for you before we let you go. The first one is, do the Giants have any chance of making the postseason? Yeah, I think they do. I mean, if you look at them on paper, you know, defensively, they're going to be fine. They're going to get after the quarterback, Blake Martinez, Xavier McKinney in the back end, who's an outstanding young player, um, Adoree Jackson. They, they're capable defensively. Offensively, if you can protect Daniel Jones – and they can get the ball to their playmakers, absolutely they can get on a run. There's no question I think this team – the schedule's tough early. It, it lightens up a little bit towards the end, um, which will probably benefit this team. But, again, they have to stay healthy. Um, and it's going to rely on, you know, not getting into too big of a hole early as they're starting to figure out who they are, what plays they like, what do they do well. Um, so, you know, if they can go 500 – through the first part of the season, I think that's huge. And then the second half, like we said, softens up a little bit. Today it softens up. I don't know how good those teams are, but on paper it looks like that's the easier part of their schedule. So no question, I think they could. Um, but, man, that's, that's, a, that's a big, big ask for them. So, we, you know, Giants Nation would just take eight or nine wins, to be honest with you. Yeah, and I'm sure they absolutely would. Um, so last question then. Which is the team in your division that you feel the most threatened by then? Who do you oh, think the, is the team It's definitely the Eagles. The Eagles. Um, I know a lot of people don't totally believe in Jalen Hurts, um, but they, they've just kind of got a winning culture over there. They've got good players. They got A.J. Brown from the Titans. Uh, they've got the other receiver they drafted last year who's going to be even better. Um, so they're kind of a – they're the team, I think, in the NFC East that will come out. I'm not a big believer in the Cowboys anymore. There's so much turmoil over there with Ezekiel Elliott. You know, is he going to make the team? They don't have any receivers, right? They got CeeDee Lamb, but a bunch of guys hurt. Uh, Dak Prescott's a great player. I really like him. And then, of course, Washington, or, uh, yeah, the Commanders, whatever the hell they're called now. Um, you just never know. You know, I just – it's a crazy division, but I would certainly pick the Eagles to come out of that division today. Yeah, uh, a lot of talent there. You're right. Devonta Smith, uh, an exciting yeah, receiver yeah, to watch. And alongside A.J. Brown, that was, uh, that was a solid piece of draft business. That the and then they got did. Dallas Goddard, Goddard, Goddard yep. the tight end, who's a really good player. They've got some really good backs. I mean, and then, you know, second year for Jalen Hurts. He's a competitive kid. I People – ding him a little bit for arm strength and things like that. He's, that's that's not how he's going to beat you. He's going to beat you with his feet and making athletic plays. And I think second year for a quarterback, look out, because they he, he could be a really good player. He's a winner. Yeah, absolutely. Brilliant. Lawrence, thank you so much for joining us. You bet. We look forward to seeing you when you come over to the UK in some shape or form. Free um, pints for me. Free pints for me. Absolutely. We I'm say that, saying. of course. You've got your Loch Lomond bottle of uh, whiskey behind you there. Um, you've got your two Lombardies sitting right next to it. So it's in good esteemed company, which we love to see. But listen, thank you so much for joining us. You bet. 
hopefully catch up with you again soon. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. We'll definitely uh, do it again. See what's Enjoy going the on football when it comes. Absolutely. Great to hear from Lawrence there. Interesting, Jamie, that he, you know, you were chatting about something similar. Eight wins, nine wins is success. Interesting also that he sees the biggest threat this year being the Eagles. What do you guys take on that? And also we have to touch on the fact, because we've not done it ourselves yet, that all Scottish kicking team, that's a sign of success for the Giants, is having a Scottish kicker. And they've got two of them now. Yeah, we we have to invent lots of ways of measuring success when we haven't had any for so long. It's it, it is so funny thinking of nine wins being successful, isn't it? Um, but but genuinely, that is the tempered expectations, and and it's quite a difficult fan base to temper expectations on. So I, I guess that's Jamie. That's interesting, every, every time, isn't it? Jamie, every time you get nine wins, you win the Super Bowl. That's the magic number for the Giants. <laughs> <laughs> Nine wins isn't worth as much as it was, though. <laughs> um, yeah, isn't it true? Is, uh, isn't it? Uh, isn't it brilliant? Gano, Gano was a, was absolutely phenomenal last year. In fact, I, I think Graham Gano was pretty much the Giants' best player um, and only source of points for the majority of last year. And and are they Jamie Gillen in there is great. Obviously, um, the, the other guys who have come from the Bills, which is of which there are many um, over the off season, um, knew him because they 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 picked him up from from waivers, and he'd he'd been in the practice squad at Buffalo. Um, so it was great that they moved to bring him in um, and having an all Scottish um, kicking team um, is nothing but fantastic from my point of view as a, as a Scottish giant. See, this is the kind of quality you only get from the Stramash Scottish NFL podcast. Having all these Scotsmen playing in the NFL, we're not like other random countries' podcasts, but say, well, Irish NFL shows. <laughs> they don't have anyone in the NFL. The best they can do is send them random at college. So... <laughs> Guys, listen to this podcast for the best possible analysis, the best possible players, just the best possible quality. Absolutely. When it comes to European players in the NFL, this podcast in this country wins. We are the winners. Or I'm not having it any other way. Damn straight. Um, before we wrap up, then I am going to go through some of these other hot takes that I just want to share because some of them are some of them are quite good, actually. So Tony said his one that I dismissed. The Eagles will win the East and the Cowboys make the wild card. Yeah, fine. Fair enough, Tony. I think you're probably right. No one's taking that bet. Philip Spears says Patriots to finish bottom of AFC East. Flacco to take the Jets job while Wilson is out sucking on his mates Moss knockers while he's out with his sore knee. Uh, which I thought had it all, to be perfectly honest. I'm not quite, I'm not quite sure that's a standard scientific method of rehabilitation uh, <laughs> for, a, for a knee injury. Uh, well, if it works, so catch on. I mean, if it, if it, if it works, everybody's going to be getting knee injuries and then going to the chest. <laughs> My knee's sore. Can I get out of your knockers, please? <laughs> The Jets have had plenty of them over the years, so I don't think there's a problem. Sorry, Cameron, we've really interrupted you. Yes, yeah, so that's all right. Uh, Lorna says the Cowboys to squeak the division, Eagles wild card. 
the commanders to finish above, Danny Downs and co. Uh, the Stramash ex-NFL Scotland burger bets account, which is still going strong, you'll be pleased to know. <laughs> this account predicts that Jamie Borthwick will be at the 2023 NFL draft in person, reporting on the Giants picking number one overall. The trip will be funded by ourselves, pulling off the biggest accumulator in burger bet history. That'll be. There's been some burgers flying about, so we're clearly taking it up a notch. Uh, Sean Black has... Um, his hot take is that Miami will finish last in AFC East and have a top five pick. Ross Downey's is that Patriots will finish bottom and the Cowboys will miss out on the playoffs. Um, so yeah, a few other people chatting back and forward on that one. And Charles Patterson just getting upset because we said that he wasn't coming on because we refused to talk about Aaron Rodgers. And we refused to talk about Aaron Rodgers because we got a, someone on that, something that Rodgers hasn't done. Two-time Super Bowl winner Lawrence Tynes wins over one-time Super Bowl winner Aaron Rodgers. I mean, when it comes to the Hall Charles, of Fame, one of them's walking in and the other one's got to win more trophies, right? Charles so. could make it tonight. He's at the Conservative Party hustings in <laughs> Perth. <laughs> I'll tell you what, I, out of those two, I'd vote for him. That's for sure. Char, Charles for PM. That'll do for me. Good grief. Right, okay. Um, any I other news rant, items? Yeah, oh. I need to rant before we go. I've just oh, realised... Good God. I'm just uh, this the regular season doesn't finish till the second weekend in January. What's all that about? That's playoff football time. This is nonsense. You should be finishing up the first first weekend of January. January the first should be the last of the games. But we've got that's what we had last week. year. That's terrible. It just doesn't work. It's, <laughs> it's a dead week. It's a dead week. It is a shame because actually at the time of year where sport is the one thing that gets you through those long January nights after the Christmas hangover, having a dead robber week for a lot of the games is a bit of a shame, to be honest. I agree with that sentiment. I think that the fact that you used to go straight into the wildcard round meant, boom, straight into it. However, you've got the college playoffs around that time, so it's not all lost, you know, and actually it gives more uh, space for college to do their thing uh, and get on with it. The only thing now is that the college playoffs do tend to clash with the wildcard weekend, which is not ideal either. Uh, it's not great. It just it just seems slightly unnecessary that they couldn't have actually started the season on the fourth of September and gotten on with it. But hail. If they start if they start the season any earlier, then no games can take place in Florida because of the constant lightning strike, surely. Not to, it works for the baseball, they're indoors, it's fine. No problem. Yes, indeed. Um one, um, one thing, one concern I have, uh, Cameron, you've got so many followers of the, the podcast and they're, they're clearly all desperate to come to the, the live show in Edinburgh but it's it's sold out um, is there anything that we can do for, for people that are wanting to come, is there any kind of later shows we can put on like possibly in October shows in maybe, I don't know, Glasgow and Edinburgh, is that something that could take place? I think that's something that could probably take place, have you got anything in mind any ideas yourself? I'm free about the 23rd and 24th of October. Um, I've got a pal that wants to come. Somebody that uh, has played in the Super Bowl, he's pretty desperate to come over and experience Scotland. 23rd and 24th of October. Yeah, but, do you know what? I think we should pencil those in. Uh, let's pencil those in as dates. Let's put a little marker against those and uh, let's come back and revisit that one. Um, because I think around that time, you know, we'll, we'll have been far enough away from that week one event. The hangover will be well and truly cured. That's a nice sweet spot in between the weekends where all the London games are taking place as well. Let's get everyone together for a weekend and talk some football. Yeah, and let's include Glasgow as well. 
Yeah, I think that's just, a great idea. Just so they can all boo you when you come out. <laughs> <laughs> He's cost prick. He gets booed anywhere. Gets booed anywhere. Gets booed anywhere. Does Cameron? Don't you worry. Don't you worry. Okay, uh, more to come on that one. Absolutely. Um, but do go pencil that into your diary. Block those two out. Listen, you don't get other podcasts Both. looking after listeners like we do. Don't no, listen true. to any of these other nonsense podcasts. This is where you need to lend your ears every single week. Damn straight. Damn straight. So we've got lots planned coming up. We are more things to announce. Keep an eye out for our Pick'em competition. That's back again. Once again, we've got an amazing prize on the line. Pick King or Queen of Scotland will once again be crowned. Beyond that, there's other things that we'll be announcing as we are ramping things up. We've got some uh, exciting stuff coming up for a week one live event as well. So more details to follow. Keep an eye on all of our social media channels. But I think that's it for this week. Anyone got anything to add? Are you, is the rumours true that you're giving your newly born daughter away as a giveaway in week eight? <laughs> if we win enough in the rattle, I'll consider it. I'm, um, sure, I'm sure you said something like, if, if a tweet gets 200 likes, I'll give away my baby daughter. <laughs> <laughs> as the lawyer on behalf of the Hobbs family, I'd like to deny that Cameron ever considered doing that, just to keep things on the level. Uh, for Cameron Hobbs, Jimmy Borthwick, Ian Stephen and myself, Paul Mitchell, thanks for listening to Smash. Back next time. Bye for now.